are listening Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host and Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring conversations with influential people in Ukraine and important scholars from around the world. I am your host, Anne Levine, reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts, for the Pacifica Network. Our guests are Jewish cantors Sergei and Elena Schwartz. Cantor Sergei Schwartz joined Temple Sinai of Roslyn, by far the largest Reformed Jewish congregation on Long Island, in July of 2012. He was born in Dnipro, Ukraine. Despite the religious prohibitions and restrictions imposed on all Jews in the former Soviet Union, Jewish music was always a part of Cantor Schwartz's life. After graduation in 1990 from the Glinka College of Music in Dnipro with a major in choral conducting, he and his family immigrated to Israel, where he was accepted into the Jerusalem Rubin Academy of Music. Soon after arriving in Jerusalem, Cantor Schwartz joined the world-renowned Jerusalem Great Synagogue Choir. While there, Cantor Schwartz studied cantorial art with famous conductor and cantor Eli Jaffe and with cantor Naftali Herzig, chief cantor of the Jerusalem Great Synagogue. In 1996, Cantor Schwartz was accepted to the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in New York City from which he graduated with a Master's of Sacred Music degree and ordination as a cantor. Ultimately, he was placed at Temple Sinai of Roslyn. Cantor Schwartz is on the faculty of the School of Sacred Music at the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. He is married to cantor educator Elena Schwartz, Director of Education at Temple Sinai in Roslyn, New York. A talented educator and singer, she was born and grew up in Ukraine in the former Soviet Union, came to the United States by way of Israel, where she earned a degree in music and education at the Rubin Academy of Music and Dance in Jerusalem. After coming to New York, she earned a master's degree in Jewish education from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. She also received her cantorial training and obtained a second master's degree from the School of Sacred Music and was invested as a cantor in 2006. Together, she and Sergei have two sons, Ziv and Leo. Yedlena, I'd like to start with you. Where in Ukraine were you born? So we both were born in Dnipropetrovsk. Now it's the city of Dnipro. You know, they changed the name of the city. We were born there. We were raised there, me and Sergei. And we met in um, music college. We studied music together. And we met in music college there. Were you raised in an observant Jewish family? 
the family was not religious by the time I was growing up. But going back number of generations, my paternal grandfather was an observant Jew, and he went to the synagogue. And same with Sergei. Both grandparents from the, our father's side, they were from Poland. His grandfather, my grandfather, went to the synagogue. The other side of my family and Sergei's family were more of a secular part of the family, right? Grandparents spoke fluent Yiddish. We knew that we were Jewish, for sure. Sergei, did you speak Yiddish in your home? No. By our time, our generation already lost the connection. Did you have a Jewish wedding in Ukraine? No. Legally, wedding could be only secular. What was it like growing up as Jews in Ukraine at that time? It wasn't Ukraine that time. It was Soviet Union. We left Soviet Union a year before it fell apart. Our memories of uh, decent time, I would say. It was a lot of Jewish music at home. It wasn't religiously Jewish, but we have strong Jewish identities, no doubt about it. It's really dependent on your profession, right? So both Sergei and I were trained and raised as trained musicians. And so it, it was okay to be a Jewish and musician. It was easier to get through uh, and go up your career ladder for example, I had an interesting experience when I applied to universities around Soviet Union, right? They said, we like you, you are a good musician, we will accept you, uh, but your last name does not sound good. My last name is Epstein, my maiden name. They said, you have to change your last name and it will be easier for the professor to get you through. And so I did, you know, I changed my last name to my stepfather's last name, who is not Jewish. And, you know, it was easier for me to get accepted. So you certainly faced anti-Semitism in certain ways, right? Once in a while, you could hear something that was not pleasant. But because we were both musicians, it was easier for us to blend in and to make friendships with non-Jews because among musicians, there were plenty, plenty of, of Jews. But you would hear a totally different story if you talk to our parents who were born in the late 40s and beginning of the 50s. And parents really had a hard time. And grandparents, like my grandma, who was a very serious CPA, one of the leading CPAs in our hometown. And But when the war between Israel and uh, Egypt broke, she lost her job. And the same happened to my dad. What did happen to your family, Sergei, in World War Two? Uh, that's a very sad story, you know. So my grandfather was a Polish Jew from uh, what used to be Western Poland. After 1939, his family found themselves in the territory of Ukraine. He never spoke Russian, never spoke obviously Ukrainian, only Polish and Yiddish. And he miraculously was drafted to the Red Army. He fought during the war and uh, his entire family was killed right away. And we know that his parents, his sisters, his brothers, the entire large family was killed early in World War II. He was in the Red Army and eventually ended in our hometown where he was left to uh, resurrect the city that was totally destroyed. And that was the story how the Polish Jew ended in Ukraine. Yadlena, how did your family end up in Dnipro? 
I only know that my maternal grandfather was born in Dnipro. He had five siblings, and they were all professional musicians except him. And my maternal grandfather's father played in the opera orchestra in Dnipro. And that's before the Russian Revolution of 1917. Did you feel like Ukrainians? We were raised as Soviets. There was no specifically any national identity, especially for Jews. We were Jewish and Soviet. Especially in Eastern Ukraine. And especially Eastern. Eastern Ukraine. We spoke Russian. It was the language we went to school in. We studied in Russian. Ukrainian was the second language. Ukraine is half Russian speaking and half Ukrainian speaking originally. Not anymore, of course. They will change their ways nowadays. I, I have no doubt that Russian will not going to be taught in schools. But we were raised as Soviet Jews. We did speak Ukrainian because we had to take it in school. What year did you leave Ukraine? 1990. We were 18 year old when Gorbachev, with his perestroika, with his glasnost, opened up the country. And our parents and grandparents made a decision that if not now, then when? A lot, a lot of people left to Israel at the time. With the main wave of immigration, very happy. Why did they choose Israel? At that point, it was not so easy to get to the United States. And immigration to Israel was very well organized. Even though there were no direct flights at that point yet between Soviet Union and Israel, Jewish agency uh, worked very nicely and it was pretty simple, actually. You know, you boarded a plane in Moscow and for free. Uh, for free. Yep. You went to Budapest, you switched planes, you got into El Al flight, you got to Tel Aviv, and the rest is history. They provided support, they helped us pay for our education in Israel. We went to Hebrew University in Jerusalem, we're both alums of Hebrew University and Judic Academy. Did either one of you read or speak any Hebrew? Yeah, already knowing that we will be immigrating, we started a little bit learning Hebrew. Basic, basic. So when we came to Israel, you had an opportunity to learn a little bit. Then when we went to study in Academy of Music, they gave us entrance exams and set us at the first level, second level, third level. What about your English? We studied English in school back in Soviet Union, but yeah. it was not very productive. They on purpose created English curriculum that really was not useful at all. So we studied some grammar, we passed the test, but all the texts were about Soviet Union. And there was no spoken language uh, taught at all. So um, we studied English in Israel. You know, when we got to the United States, the gay spoke English pretty well. How many years did you live in Israel? Almost seven years. What made you decide to move to the United States? Hebrew College invited us to continue study in the United States. And they moved us to New York because that's the only place where cantors train it, with degree as uh, cantors. And then eventually we came here to Long Island. You are both members of the clergy. You are both cantors. Yeah, we have a rabbinic degree, but we uh, work as cantors. But you grew up without religious education and without much religious observance, but a feeling, as Yelena put it, of Yiddishkeit, of being Jewish ethnically. What made you turn into observing Jews pursuing a career as members of Jewish clergy? That's a very easy question. 
immediately, immediately when we came to Israel, I joined Jerusalem Great Synagogue Choir. It's a professional choir in Jerusalem, and I loved it. I loved it. I love this music. I love the style. I started taking lessons even before I joined the Kibrian College. I just wanted to know it. I wasn't sure if it's going to become my profession or I just wanted to know it. As you can imagine, Jerusalem is an observant city. You feel it. You sense it. It's in the air. It's all, all around. You also lived in a modern Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem. And we went to Hebrew University. And most of our neighbors in our building were professors from the school People who were our neighbors, who invited us to their home, who we celebrated holidays with them. And they were highly intellectual, brilliant people who were observant. So we really absorbed and learned about Judaism firsthand from this wonderful individuals. Some of them were our professors in school. They were welcoming, they were warm, and we were introduced to the beauty of Judaism by these people. So we observed this love to Judaism together.
Listening to Ukraine 242, an exploration of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Our guests are Sergei and Elena Schwartz, Ukrainian born Jewish cantors at Temple Sinai of Roslyn. I am your host, Anne Levine, from WOMR Community Radio in Provincetown, Massachusetts, for Pacifica Network. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to turn now to the war currently going on in Ukraine. Did you have family still in Ukraine when the war broke out in February? Yes, my brother, my half-brother with his family was in Ukraine. He was raised there, he lived there, and my first cousin is still there, in fact. My brother actually arrived to the United States last week on Thursday. Today is the first week of them being here in the United States. They came here on the parole that Biden administration opened in the beginning of March, and we signed the affidavit of support, and they're here now. And my cousin is still there because of the age. You know, my brother has three children, so he was able to leave the country. They don't draft into the army men who have three kids. So he was able to leave. We it's, still have friends, a lot of friends. And we're constantly in touch especially last week when it's constant bombing. And unfortunately, our hometown, Dnipro, was under the constant bombing. I don't think that they ever slept in the past week. And we checked with them and we asked them if they're alive till like 4 a.m. almost every night now. We basically don't go sleep with them. We check on them because now Putin's trying to take infrastructure out. 40% 40% of Ukrainian infrastructure, unfortunately, already destroyed. And since the beginning of the war, it was heartbreaking. And we gathered all the forces at Temple Sinai. Immediately, we together a cantorial concert on Zoom, because it was still in the COVID times. Russian-speaking cantors put, uh, came together on Zoom. And we advertised that we're not raising money only for our congregation to help Ukraine, but everyone has to do all the best in his and her capacities to raise money and to help Ukraine. Temple sign, and we we were blessed that we raised probably by now close to $80,000. And we were helping to anyone personally. We were in touch in Ukraine, any organization, for instance, we're in touch with humanitarian funds from behind, uh, and the leader of this fund is a Russian Orthodox priest. Ukrainian Orthodox. Yeah, Ukrainian Orthodox now. The priest, we were helping to our sister congregation in Kiev to relocate them or in Odessa because they were stuck on the way to Germany. They tried to escape to Germany, so we were paying for buses. We, we did so much that it's even uh, difficult to remember. But I have to tell it's not only us. But I went already twice to Poland to volunteer there to help to work with refugees. Elena and Lior, our younger son, came also in the summer second time. And we were working with them. We were uh, financially helping them. We were convincing them that there is a life after being a refugee, Mm -hmm. like providing mental support. We did the concerts for them. That's just a part of the support. But it, it was heartbreaking to hear all the stories because majority is from Donetsk area, it's from uh, Melitopol area, from Kherson area. Kherson, that's where you hear now the fighting are. And we knew what it's to be a refugee. We did basically two immigrations. 
and we just convince them they have to believe in the, their own education and they zest to live and to build their life from the scratch. And so twice we went there, and again we're proud for our members of our community. For instance, uh, for instance, our close friend who is a surgeon, he's plastic surgeon who just came a couple of weeks ago from Ukraine. He is with his team as a part of a plastic surgeons association. Went inside of Ukraine, and they were uh, doing the reconstruction surgeries uh, for people that were wounded during the war. They did 37 surgeries nonstop. There were several crews. For 10 days, they, they function 24-7, just with uh, changing one another. Another member here on Long Island, he is uh, he, and the first, our friends is Russian-speaking. This we're talking about an uh, American surgeon who is helping them via Zoom. And he's basically participating in the many, many surgeries. He is an orthopedic surgeon. And what they do, they operate while here United States via Zoom. They connect with surgeons there and they direct them and they help them. And so the entire community was truly galvanized by you know, our call for action. Everyone was involved, young and old. And people do, did what they could. We, we just, during high holidays, just now, recently, we, uh, we have a number of students in our community who collected warm clothes and medical equipment for this organization called Samaheim uh, Health in Dnipro. And the container is being sponsored by somebody in the community and it's going all the way to Poland, to Gdansk next week. We filled up the entire container with warm clothes, with all wheelchairs, wheelchairs, yeah, uh, yeah you, you name it, whatever, whatever they ask for, Medic- over-the-counter medication, uh, diapers, uh, and we're talking about large containers. Large container. It's going to Gdansk, it's going to Poland next week, and then it's going from Gdansk to Dnipro to support the efforts of that the charitable organization. So we, we didn't stop, you know, we just keep going and we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to help. You are reaching out and giving assistance to all Ukrainians, not just Jewish ones, correct? Yeah, we, as we mentioned, uh, one of the main contacts is uh, Ukrainian Orthodox. Uh, we're talking about non-Jewish. George, he's a priest. He's a priest, and that's one of the main. That's where the container goes. It has nothing to do with Jews at all. Exactly. And then uh, for those who are in Poland, when we went over the summer, it's interesting to note the Jewish shelters in Poland. So that are paid and sponsored by the dollars from Jews from around the world, Jewish Distribution Committee, the Federation. And known as they, joined. Known as joined. They gave shelter to so many people who are very far from being Jewish. They have many, many Ukrainians. They have many Russians who fled. And they're providing help. Russians from Ukraine, right? Yeah. Ukrainians who fled the country. And they're just trying to help anybody they can. And nobody asks. Nobody asks. They just do what they can do to help and support. Why do you think that your congregation of Temple Sinai and Roslyn is so enthusiastic about giving aid to all Ukrainians? You know, because we send the very, very clear message at Temple Sinai. As we're all-inclusive community. We, um, we provide help to all those in need, regardless 
of their religion, regardless of their nationality. We just answering the call from from our tradition. We even send a musical message basically every service. We adopted uh, Jewish liturgy, at least one of the songs, uh, one of the songs, to Ukrainian uh, folk tunes. And we did it for at least half a year, and we did it even during the Yom Kippur service. And we say that it's Ukrainian folk tunes, and our purpose is uh, to support Ukraine morally and financially. So the message is constant. Basically, every service, it was a Ukrainian song with the Hebrew liturgy. So it's consistency. And because we feel it's so close, because we have our close friends there, and we, we feel it happened to us. So that probably is contagious, this feeling. Do you feel as though support in general for Ukraine and the cause of helping those in Ukraine is waning at this point? Yeah, I'm going to say somewhat. I think people don't have as much interest in what's happening there. I don't think that support is winning. I think it's the interest in what's going on on a daily basis because the entire world was in such a state of shock. When it all started, it was so unexpected for so many. And it's in Europe. It's like, uh, even though it's across the pond, but it, it feels like it's around the corner. And Ukraine is a very civilized country. So people were in state of shock and they want, I think you're right. The interest is winning. Support, I do not think so. I think people are willing to support if, if you engage them in a conversation and ask for their help and for their advice and for, um, for contributions. People really don't turn away. Um, we made a call just now at, at the Yom Kippur service. I spoke at the Yom Kippur service. We sang uh, one of the folk Ukrainian songs. We sang uh, prayer for peace um, on the melody uh, or Shalom on the melody of Ukrainian song that is very very popular, and immediately people started reaching out asking whether we can uh, whether they can help in any way. So I really we started sending checks again. Yeah. You know, Ukraine is fighting for its fighting for its freedom, and that message is very close to all Americans. Your last question was very appropriate. What's happened now? Is yeah. that uh, diminishing the attention? And the support, so people get tired of interviews like that. Really, really help to bring it back because there is no end for now. When you know we watch um, news in Ukrainian and Russian, and they all predict that it's definitely going to go through the winter, winter into spring, and many of them, and we trust that people, wise people, say probably through the end of 2023. Sadly, yeah. it's not ending, and uh, with now that we learned with it. 40% already of infrastructure in Ukraine. We know that half of the, our city today is sitting without electricity. We know it for a fact. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It is. It is. But yeah. I'm so glad that we got to meet virtually and thank you so much. Our thanks to Cantor's Elena and Sergei Schwartz of Temple Sinai in Roslyn, New York. Editing by Fred Portnoy of WNHN in New Hampshire and Ursula Rudenberg of Pacifica Network. Recording by Michael Levine. To see pictures of our guests and for more information, go to ukraine242.com.
If you wish to send a message of encouragement to the Ukrainian people, please call 510-883-3115 and record your message. It will be translated into Ukrainian and broadcast throughout Ukraine on Kaina FM's 24-station radio network. This is Anne Levine. Until next week on Ukraine 242.